undercurrent. I'm Wasir, and you're listening to Undercurrent, a podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn. Before continuing, two notes. First, Adriana's not on this episode. She had to miss the tight recording window we had, but she'll be back for the next episode, so that shouldn't be a reason to unsubscribe. Speaking of, second, please do rate and review this podcast on iTunes, and thanks if you've already done so. Now, on this episode, our guest is artist Gila Penn, whose show Uneasy Terms opens at Undercurrent on Thursday, February 13th at 6pm. Check out undercurrent70.org for updates. That's undercurrent70.org for updates. Gila has exhibited around the Eastern Seaboard, and reviews of her work have been published in Art in America, The New York Times, The Brooklyn Rail, The New Criterion, Art Critical, and featured in Sculpture Magazine, Art Maze Mag, and Peripheral Vision Press. Interviews with her have appeared in Gorky's Granddaughter, Romanov Grave, and Tilted Arc. Penn has received a Tree of Life Individual Artist Grant and fellowships from the Sharp Walenta Studio Program, Yaddo, and the McDowell Colony. She received a BFA from the San Francisco Art Institute. Artistically, Gila Penn has challenged artistic conventions and the traditional concept of drawing by utilizing synthetic, lightweight materials such as mylar, lenticular plastic, plastic garbage bags, and mosquito netting. Her subtle and sophisticated wall works and installations stand out for both their unusual fragmentation and formal intelligence. Now, my conversation with Gila. Gila Penn, thank you very much for coming to Undercurrent and, and deciding to sit down and talk with me Pleasure about your upcoming show. The name of the show is Uneasy Terms, right? Yes. Uh, can you tell me about, tell me just about this name and where this name comes from? So it actually comes from a, a 50s British film noir. Um, and the content of the film really doesn't relate at all to the <laughs> to the show, but I just love the title, and mm-hmm. I thought it was um, it was apt in terms of what I do and the way I work, and also there's a, an allusion to anxiety about what we're living through right now. So the the kind of erosion of language and. So I I just think it's a very rich it's a very rich title that right I thought would be great for this show. Yeah, and it's a it's a great title for a movie too. I looked I looked up the movie and I I'd never heard of it. I'm not very much into British film noir. Um, and I sent it to a friend of mine who is a little bit more into noir and he's like, Yeah, I also haven't heard of this, but Yeah, man, I don't looks- think it's easy to find actually. Yeah, and he was like, But I wish I had because this Wikipedia article is amazing. So. <laughs> Okay, great. So uneasy terms and and yeah, and a lot of these the the show titles here at Undercurrent do have this kind of they they unsettle and in some way try to indicate that there's going to be a challenge upon descending down the steps into the space. And I mm-hmm. think a show like uneasy a, a title like uneasy terms does that. Good. So can you tell me what the show is? What's the content of the show? And describe the pieces. It's a 
rich <laughs> show. There's a lot of work. There's um, these stele drawings, which are um, these kind of vertical totemic sort of drawings that are kind of drawing installation hybrids. And there's also the um, Clarissa series, volume one of called Notes on Clarissa, which is based on this um, 18th century British novel by Samuel Richardson. Um, and the other component of the show is uh, an installation on this incredibly dramatic stairwell. So that wall will be, I prepared a lot of elements for that wall, but the installations are site responsive. So they really come alive when I'm in the space and a lot of decisions are made when I'm, when I'm actually in the space. Is the installation on the stairwell, does it have a title? Uh, yes, it's called Prologue. Prologue, okay. Yeah. And is it the idea, uh, in part, that it's that it's the prologue upon entry into the space? Exactly. Or how does the site, the shape of the site, sort of, how has that struck your thinking about it? Like, do you find it a peculiarly designed space or a very, like, what what was your response to the space when you saw it? Um, I think it's a great space because, for me, because it has a lot of uh, architectural curveballs. Um, you know, the pipes, which become... Um, a structural element so with like the work. The ceiling pipes. The ceiling yeah. pipes, yeah. Right. And then the stairwell is just because it's the, the steps are shallow and they're very deep and it's this really expansive, um, unusual space. And mm -hmm. I think it will be a bit unexpected for um, the viewer to come in and see an installation there. I mean, it's it's a bit I think I hope it will be a bit unexpected. Um, yeah, it's a it's a very it's a peculiar choice that the undercurrent people have made to to incorporate that space. I mean, it's it's great too. And it, there's a I was just talking to to one of the directors yesterday who suggested having concerts just in the stairwell, having oh. the having the performers at the at the base and then yeah, having yeah. people sit on the stairs. That's a nice idea. Um, the first uh, the first show here, Carl Lee's show, had a. Uh, projection where there was a tripod at the top of the steps and you almost ran into it because you didn't know what was oh it was a tripod with binoculars and so right <laughs> when you walked in you're supposed to look through these binoculars and see a little projection on the tv so oh, it's, wow. yeah but i'm but i'm also i'm also i like this idea of uh of a very active way of thinking of that entryway as a prologue into what comes next yeah um and so this is this is going to be something that you put together more or less over the next couple days right before the opening on Thursday or yes okay I mean it, it was I have a wall in my studio that's about the same length um but of course because I don't have those kind this kind of stairs in in my studio it will it will change mm -hmm. so that's that's what I'll be responding to really great excellent and then the Stella drawings can you tell me about this uh the title Stele. Stele, sorry. Yeah. Um, Steles are, uh, I think, um, they're, they're actually sort of, um, they're, they're kind of monumental figures, mm -hmm. Stele. Um, and so archaeologically, I think, okay. no, I may be wrong, no, but, um, but, but somehow these, these, the verticality of them, mm -hmm. Um, it seemed right. I mean, often when I title things, I, I, you know, happen upon a title that just 
strikes me as being apt. And okay. so that's, yeah. And I work in, I generally work in steer, a series. So oh. this is, this is the Stile series. I see. And so is that what's up? That's what's up. We're in the process of your hanging the show currently. You've, you've taken a couple minutes to talk with me here. And yes. uh, so that's what, what I saw up already. Yes. Okay, yeah. great. And then can you describe the, uh, the notes on Clarissa volume one? Clarissa is a, is a, an epistolary novel. Mm -hmm. There are more than 500 letters. And it's a, another thing that seems very apt at the moment. It's a very, it's kind of a Me Too, 18th yes. century yes, Me Too story. Yeah. So, so it's a story of seduction and violation and death. Um, it doesn't end well for Clarissa, sadly. But but I, I love the novel. It's it's a fantastic read. It's in four volumes, the edition that I'm reading, which is an a British edition, which I've read. This will be, I don't know, my third time, I think, reading it. And um, in volume one, I've taken exhibition cards from a previous installation called Ebb Tide, which I did last year at <clears throat> Odetta Chelsea Gallery. And um, the dealer prints um, images of, of the show, of my, in this case, my installation. And uh, uses them to promote the show, and they're they're very beautiful, and they're there are maybe eight or ten images of different details of the installation, and so I decided it was I would use them because it was a way of sort of insinuating my own work into the story of the novel, mm -hmm. and kind of vice versa. It's it's this sort of cross pollination in a way, and so it's. Um, it's a great, of course, it's a great generator for work because there are more than 500 letters. So each card, each collage is, is, represents a letter in the novel. It's not a literal, you know, translation or, or, or reference to, to the letter, but it's, it's more of a sort of call and response. Now, like I, like I told you, I haven't read the novel, but uh, it has its own monumentality in the sense that it's very well known for being enormous. Um, it is. And is, is that, is, so you said uh, earlier about the monumental drawings and that kind of stuff, is the, is the sort of the, the bigness of the novel part of what attracted you to it? or? Well, that's interesting. I, I think it's just such a, it's a wonderful, it, it's a wonderful melodrama. But it's also, as I, as I reread it now, the characters are just so alive and brilliant, and it feels very contemporary. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yes, and you're right. I mean, in a way, it is a, another monumental um, kind of work. I hadn't quite thought about it in those terms, but I, I, I think that's right. And it's also, um, you know, to have this ongoing project is really kind of wonderful because it's always there in the background. So my idea is that for every volume of the novel, and there are four volumes, um, I'll use images of a different installation of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's, that's how it'll work through the, through the four volumes and that each volume will be um, installed differently. Um, yeah, and there's uh, just, just to push the monumentality, there's also the, the, role that the novel plays in in the sense of its size but also in its canonicity too in the way that richard in, in, that richardson is also as the the arguably the center of 
um, of the early English novel of the of the 18th century. Um, and then the I like the idea of the series because the thing about epistolary novels is that they uh, they work on this kind of fiction of taking a long time to be created because the letters have a certain have a have a date stampness to it. Well, they so, have actual dates, right? Right, right. and mm-hmm. so, but it's so it's not that you you have this fiction of how to put this. You can have a novel that's multi generational or something like that that oh, takes yeah. that takes place over hundreds of years, and uh, but the author could have conceivably written that in two weeks, let's say, right? Um, whereas with an epistolary novel, because the letters have dates and times and so on, they and it also you feel the lengthness of the time moving mm-hmm. because you feel the the uh, the time that it takes for the mail to go. I know that at the time the British mail was like super efficient, but still it took a day or two for letters to get from place to place. Actually, and, a lot of these letters are left in secret hiding places. Uh, okay, to be right. picked. Up. I see. Um, <laughs> Well, considering the content too, yeah. that, that probably makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so what I'm getting at is that the the series nature of it 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 seems like a particularly good fit. You know, like I think about um, like I know similar projects are done with something like Moby Dick, which mm-hmm. um, which benefits from having many, 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 many chapters, which mm-hmm. are very, very, very short. So there are projects where, like I think NPR had one where they had a different famous person read each chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. something like that, or. Um, Walt Whitman, Leaves of Grass. I know on his birthday, right outside the street, right outside the door, practically, there's a um, a, uh, a yearly rereading of Leaves of Grass. Right. Where, again, you have this opportunity where everybody can play a role, but it doesn't have that sense of um, you're just reading a different section of a poem or you're just reading a chapter of a novel as a whole, whereas here you're reading something that, uh, or you're referencing something that within the novel itself has this fiction of being a, a solitary object that was left in a specific hiding place mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. So and you're, yeah, and, and you are presumably reading it in real time. Right, right. So that's, that's great too, yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, yeah, and I, I, uh, I should go, I should go, like Pamela I read in grad school and I really, really liked it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, when I, when I heard about this, I was just like, oh, that seems that seems like a very appropriate novel for, for this era, precisely because of its me tooness and the way, the way in which both novels deal with. Um, well, in Clarissa, is is it a is it an employer employee relationship or? No, okay. no. Um, Cla- uh, it's well, you know, the, the letters are between primarily four major, the four principal characters, and uh, her seducer um, is. Uh, a very is a rich accomplished um extraordinarily charming fellow he just happens to be um have not great motives when it comes to clarissa so um so the the correspondence between and she at the same time that she resists i think her attraction to him this is all via letters of course that i mean that we're you know how we're we're reading this. Um, they're just they they take a lot of time talking about what the interactions are. He 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 starts to court her and the what I'm sorry I'm being totally inarticulate. But what happens no, is great. that um, the family because the family starts to put pressure on her 
to resist Loveless um, and take a suitor who's completely appalling. And so that's kind of the the propeller for this extraordinary uh, drama that or melodrama that happens um, and how she's kind of pushed into Loveless's arms and how he uses this circumstance of her family because of money and all kinds of other pressures wants her to marry this awful guy and doesn't want her to marry Loveless who anyway so there there it's it's extremely clever there's a lot of um uh Clarissa's although she's she she's very smart and she's not she's more interesting I think than Pamela although I don't remember Pamela that well but I think she and and especially her friend that she writes to um who's very kind of saucy and and uh, rebellious and so yeah there's a there's a lot of great stuff in it yeah excellent yeah and Pamela the 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 hiccup is that that there is that employer-employee type thing. Um, mm-hmm. Pamela is Mr. B's, uh, like a maid servant or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So that that just just ups the inappropriateness. And I just um, like again, we, I would no. These are well-heeled, well-off people. Yeah, all of them. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, great. So the the other thing about the the Clarissa thing, and I think that you were you were starting to get to this a little bit, um, and about the the way that. The title of the show is a film noir, is a reference to a film noir movie. The uh, Clarissa stuff is is uh, the notes on Clarissa is is referring to the novel Clarissa, and but also um, as you said, you're inserting yourself into it by by not only creating work about it, but the material that you're using to create the work about it is material that was already created about your work. Exactly. And so there's a. I don't know if you uh, prefer a term like intertextuality or a term like dialogism or something like that to sort of it's a, there's a really rich feeling of it I get out of you know as soon as I saw the the title of the Clarissa thing I was like oh I don't think I've seen something this this uh, obviously in, intertextual um, here at Undercurrent and then when I read uh, the description of the title uh, it was the same thing it was like oh you know like this kind of way in which uh, film noir, film in general, like the, uh, I've read that you, it plays a large role in your work more broadly, but also to a degree in this show. So can you talk about this kind of intertextuality? Do you feel like it's uh, central, defining, uh, differentiating or something like that in terms of your work? It's a very personal way mm-hmm. um, because I grew up watching movies and TV and reading novels. And so... Um, so it, it becomes a kind of armature, um, for much of the way I think. And so I wanted to try to bring that, you know, great interest that I have in, in film and fiction in, into the work in, in some way. Um, so, so I guess it's, it's really, it comes from a, a very kind of personal impulse the you know the titles of my installations are generally from film noir they're not there's not a specific one-to-one relationship it's not like the installations are about that particular film noir it's Mm -hmm. more it's more of a poetic sort of um attachment to those titles which i think are very 
uh, uh, particularly film noir, the titles are very poetic, I think. Things like Detour on Dangerous Ground, Shadow of a Doubt. You know, those titles are very evocative. And so I think they lend something um, for me and hopefully for the viewer when, when they look at the work. With something like the dialogic work, you know, the, the idea is that you can have work that exists outside of any kind of conversation and, and that doesn't give back to the world in some kind of way. Um, but when, with, so with the monologic work, but when you're dealing with the dialogic, then that brings in the, uh, the viewer becomes partly a creator as well, in the sense that they're, the knowledge that they bring along with themselves, like the your the notes on Clarissa can be viewed whether you have read Clarissa or not or you right. know don't know it or anything like that. Right. Um, and it it it's not the case that it that there's a better reading once you've read all of Clarissa or if you're the greatest Richardson scholar currently alive right. or something like that. Absolutely. But it does bring something different and and the work itself reflects against that is the is the idea behind this and that that takes extra extra effort from from the author's part in order to make something that or the artist's part in your case in order to make something that can can inhabit and live that way yeah so i'm 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 glad that there's a degree to which that it's uh that it's explicit but at the same time you're also saying it's not it's not like a key that unlocks things no absolutely not i mean i i think you know what what one hopes is that in it enriches, you know, the the experience for the viewer, but also it's it's a it's an engine for for me to to make work and to think about, you know, my work and and the novel and and uh, that as I said, that kind of cross pollination. Fantastic. Um, so Adriana had a few questions. Uh, the first question she had were about the materials that you use. Can you describe the materials that you're using in this show? Um, there are various synthetic materials, um, things like mylar and translucent um, vellum and um, reflective materials, um, plastic garbage bags. So I, I have, over a period of years, um, focused on using these materials because they're, they're humble and they're, uh, they transmit and they reflect light in interesting ways they they give um a kind of uh sort of ambiguous feel to them they're i i like materials that i can really manipulate um so garbage bags you know to tear them um plastic tarps you know the same thing to to have the i mean this is something that a lot of artists say and feel but you know that they are to some extent it's it's to some extent a collaboration with the materials you know they 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 give you as much as you work with them and it's an organic development so earlier installations for a long time I was using colored monofilament which you know uh, I was I was making installations that were really more sort of about linear marks and more sort of expressionistic kind of marks and and then depending on the the depending on the kind of mark that I wanted to make um, the materials would sort of change so f later I started using cutting up mosquito netting because mosquito netting when you stretch it 
can make all kinds of fabulous um, geometric marks and and it's also a translucent material so I mean I still I still have a lot of mosquito netting in this show and in, in the pieces um, so it's it's a way to it's it's a way to fabricate these kind of quasi drawing installations um, which I hope is a a rich sort of active perceptual experience for for the the viewer mm -hmm. and there's there's also a way in which uh, this is something Adriana noticed or noted which is that on the one hand these are industrially produced synthetic uh, materials that have a kind of an implicit um, durability to them um, they're used as packing materials and all this kind of stuff because they have a certain kind of durability yeah. and then we gnash our teeth about how that durability has now come around to bite us in the ass because these materials aren't going anywhere. But at the same time, uh, she wanted to know about the way that the that durability plays with the more ephemeral nature of of responses to of site response and in installations. Well, I mean, if you're, uh, you know. It it is it is um, if you're going to use materials like that, it's art is a good place to use them because yeah. you want them to hang around for a while. I don't, you know, I, one reason I like them is that I don't, I don't have studio assistants. So I, I pretty much work by myself. And so I, I like lightweight materials that I can manipulate and, and transport myself easily. Um, there's something attractive to me about using these, almost ephemeral materials in installations that that you know they once they come down they they change i mean i can i'm i'm working now in a way that's that's actually more uh permanent than they used to be so i'm doing these drawings so that they're you know they can be rolled up and then hung again and you know and the and the installations as well are there there are components that are you know that that hang around so that um they're not as disposable as some of the earlier installations like the fishing line installations once those were down that was kind of it yeah so is there also like something like garbage bags you know when i said they're used as packing material and oftentimes it's it's packing for waste for things that are discarded when i was looking at the drawings i saw that there were uh, pieces that looked that they still had like a like the printing marks on the side that would show like this is the beginning of a roll or the end of a roll mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And um, Adriana sort of thought of that in terms of, uh, in terms of residue and in terms of, uh, in terms of discarding cultural memory or material memory and was wondering how that plays out in your work. Well, I think that there's something about those marks that um, I d th there's sort of nothing hidden in my work. Mm -hmm. So, you know the everything's done with t pins you know everything all the all the mechanical parts are visible yes. in the installations and the drawings so um so for that reason you know those kinds of marks are appealing to me too so that you you know there's there's nothing disguised really at the same time there are all these kind of ambiguous perceptual things happening so so um uh Someone, someone I know saw a show of mine recently and said um, that he really liked the uh, 
the aggression abjection vibe to the work. <laughs> and I love that. I thought that was these, great. These are some uneasy terms, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I am, I think, so I think I am interested in those kinds of dualities, you know, having them there, you know, so beauty isn't enough. There's got to be something countering that. Um, so, so, you know, I think, I think about that, um, in terms of memory, I mean, I have, you know, my family's history is, uh, difficult because my parents were Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I mean, I don't, you know, my work isn't about that, mm -hmm. but it's in some, in some way it's probably informed by that. Um, so I don't, it's not something, um, it's not something explicit. Um, it's not depictive in any way. Yeah, that's, and that's, uh, that kind of cultural memory, like the, the urtext for that would be something like Art Spiegelman's Mouse, where, uh, yeah. where he ends up basically claiming that he is a, a Holocaust victim himself because of the traumas that got passed down, uh, from his parents' experiences. And that, uh, that it was only upon, if I remember correctly, how he how he positions the argument in the books. Um, it was only when he realized that that he understood how his own previous art was uh, affected by that kind of stuff. Mm. So, yeah. So, I, so in the sense that it, while it's never explicitly about something like this, it's also it's also difficult to tell how it's not. Yeah, yeah. I guess th I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of there. You know, right? That's, right. That's kind of, yeah. Yeah, and because uh, then for me, the other thing that I noticed looking at the drawings is the way that the um, material has such a such a synthetic industrial sense to it, which we associate with a certain kind of rectilinearity. You know, straight cuts, right angles, and that kind of stuff, and and a and a orderly linear distribution of of materials and that that sort of thing that's not the case in your work like i was enjoying looking at like the staples and the mosquito netting and imagining them not as a distributed um like you have to put 25 pepperoni on a pizza <laughs> and so they're evenly spaced so nobody doesn't get pepperoni but more like it looked like uh kind of like bugs actually caught in the netting like a yeah. little bit like a the sort of pseudo randomness that we associate with something far more organic than the than the origin stories of the materials you're using. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. I mean, I think that um, I'm interested in, you know, marks that kind of disrupt the surface as well as so so maybe they're enticing, but they're also um, off-putting or you know there there has to for me there there has to be some. Um, I don't. I don't exactly know what the word is. Irritation or mm -hmm. some some something that jars a little bit. Yeah, to make yeah. it interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it feels almost a, a little bit like a trap. You know, like that. That it looked. It looked to me a little bit of, of having a sense of catching catching things by oh, accident. Oh, okay. And um, <laughs> and that then that but that catches us too as we we catch our catch ourselves looking at these things and trying to figure out, oh, how did that happen? What what actually is going on here? What are these little tiny little black flecks? Or, uh -huh. you know, that's uh -huh. Well, the, you know, that's, um, I mean, the, the marks that you can, 
get with um, these garbage bags are just so rich and evocative. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sort of, it constantly amazes me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, like being a little kid and tearing things up and, you know, <laughs> and then putting them on other things. And, you know, it's a, it seems like a very primal sort of impulse. I don't know. Yeah, see, I was that rectilinear kid who uh, who needed who needed everything to be in order and all okay, that kind of stuff. Okay. And that, yeah. Well, I have a there's a little bit of order. No, in for there sure, too. for sure. No, well, well, that's that's the other thing is that that uh, you know I don't want to know how far to push this, but the, uh, the in addition to the trapping sense, there's also a bit of a hunting sense because sometimes the work looks like uh, looks like targets or or uh, scopes and that kind of stuff. Just the way that you have circles that are crisscrossed and. Well, this, the circles are actually actually kind of recent, um, but I I do like um, the kind of theatricality um, that these things have, and I think that's what gives me a kick too. That you know you can you can make these kind of expansive abstractions out of nothing, you know, out of very little kind of material material wise or but I'm not uh so so I think sometimes you know sometimes there is a little bit of a forensic feel to these things sure. sometimes you know so they they are they do evoke different kinds of feelings yeah because you know like the like what Adriana was saying, the sort of discarding, but also these materials are used as barriers to protect from from uh from bad DNA yep. and all this kind of stuff too. yep mm hmm all right, uh, so I think um, I will I will let you go eat. Uh, <laughs> thank so, you. But, but thank you very very much. Thank you. I enjoyed um, I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. We're we're looking forward to the show. Um, if you, how can people find out more about your work other than going to the Undercurrent website for the upcoming show? But in general, uh, they can go to my website, which is gilapen.com. And that's G-E-L-A-H-P-E-N-N.com. That's right. Yes. All right. Thank you very much, Gila. Thank you. See you.